Sal Berry. If you're a losing coach, you're a slave driver. And if you're a winning coach, you're a taskmaster. But you're still the same guy. And Tim Parrish. No one's going to succeed in Toronto. There's too much media. There's too many microphones and cameras in your face. If you want to keep a job, don't work for Toronto. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Puck Junk Podcast. I'm Sal Barry and along with me is Tim Parrish, a.k.a. The Real DFG on Twitter. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. Yeah. Shout out to the crowd, to the uh, 14 <laughs> listeners. Uh, but I thank every one of you, 14 beautiful people. So we're going to talk about what's new in hockey cards. Uh, Tim's going to talk about some eBay items. Uh, I'm going to talk about that card show that I did the past weekend, not as a buyer, but as a seller. And then we're going to talk about some stuff around uh, the NHL. As far as what's coming out now, uh, just a little bit of a recap about the Tops Now sticker set. Uh, Week 6 had a print run of 846 packs. Would have been 847 if I got my... Uh, got my order into them. Did you ever get a response had... back, by the way? I did, actually. And they just basically, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was like two sentences. It says, uh, we're sorry, we can't help you. The week six sticker pack is no longer available for sale at this time. And that was it. Not even like, oh, but, you know, we'll still let you buy the all-star sticker set or whatever. So I just right. feel like a weenie. It's like missing one class and not getting that perfect attendance and then not getting the bonus for perfect attendance. But you didn't really miss class. You were just five minutes late. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I guess I could see it that way. So uh, week six print run, 846 packs should have been 847 week, seven, 788 packs. Uh, the week eight checklist so far is Henrik Lundqvist, John Carlson, Morgan Frost, New York Islanders, Kale McCarr, Emil Bermstrom, Andre Vasilevsky, and in subjects eight and nine are still to be determined. Um, as far as upper deck game dated moments for week seven, card number 19 is Connor McDavid's six point game. Card number 20 is Steven Stamkos becoming the ninth active player to reach 400 goals. And I'll tell you this um, I'd be really surprised if the following week they didn't have a Patrick Kane card because he just recorded his 600th assist, which that's one of those milestone numbers, you know? I mean, 400 goals, 600 assists, 1,000 points, right? Those are all, like, the the big milestones. So um, I'll probably buy that card uh, when it comes out, if it comes out the following week, because I just I like to pick and choose if I buy them at all. There's been an awful lot of those lately, especially guys hitting, guys hitting 1,000 games and... Um... You know the point totals and everything else. I mean, it, it's been a it's been an exciting year watching hockey so far. So far, so good. And then coming soon, um, Upper Deck Black Diamond comes out on November twenty seventh. The top sticker uh, hockey set. I guess that got pushed back a little bit. That's coming out December fourth. Although they're already for sale on the Tops website. Maybe it's a pre order. Uh, Upper Deck Synergy December eleventh and uh, Upper Deck Buybacks which is a set where they're just they basically bought back cards and they're reselling them they're uh, I guess they're autographed I think it's like one card per box I'm I'm not excited about those last two releases honestly I, I got a few boxes of Synergy last year and it's just kind of like these are kind of neat but I don't know I wasn't like super excited I like the idea of plastic trading cards 
instead of cardboard. I mean, they could be plastic. It's expensive, but they could be made out of plastic now. But I didn't like the fact that they had that three-dimensionalness to them. Like, that's cool, but I would just like a set of, like, trading cards. Kind of like how Upper Deck Ice for, well, I guess most of the time had, is, like, those plastic cards. They don't even have to be see-through. Um, and then as far as a buyback set, I see that, and I just think, okay, how much is that going to cost for one card? Yeah. I, I see those from other years pop up on the secondary market all the time, and it's a it's another one of those too rich for my blood boxes so let's see uh oh and you know another thing i want to talk about uh i'm not allowed to buy synergy by the way just why not because my wife hates that set why does she hate it she can't stand the way it looks she thinks it's ugly so i've tried anytime we've been looking at boxes and we're like all right what do we want like synergy's only you know 90 bucks or whatever and she's like nope i'm out yeah she she doesn't like the foofy color like she didn't like the mvp color and contours she didn't like the set when it was its own set either and synergy i guess reminds her of that she doesn't like it so not a fan of the puffy and or die cut parts yeah i don't know she she likes shiny prism type stuff so that's more what she's into so i understand so uh, I guess I'll talk about this. So over the last weekend was the Chicago Sports Spectacular in uh, actually in Rosemont, which is a suburb of Chicago, sort of halfway between the airport, or it's almost all the way to the airport, the O'Hare Airport in Chicago. So it's it's that's eh, Chicago for all intents and purposes. That show's been around forever. It's been around since the '90s when it was sponsored by the Sun-Times. A lot of people who've been going into it for years still call it the Sun-Times show because the Chicago Sun-Times newspaper was the, the major sponsor of it. And it's just funny because, like, even I'll say to, like, Tim, yeah, you go into the Sun-Times show. And he knows what I mean. And, you know, I think. And even if you Google it, you can put Sun-Times show and it still pops up. It does. It does. So um, I went to the, uh, the Sun-Times show, a.k.a the Chicago Sports Spectacular last weekend. And uh, this time I went as a seller, not as a uh, as a buyer. I, you know, I love walking around looking at stuff, having time to dig through quarter boxes and stuff like that. I usually go all three days. This time around, I didn't have time for that. I have an acquaintance who sells old vintage um, sports memorabilia going, you know, going back as far as he can. I mean, he has some really like, rare unique interesting stuff but he has a lot of hockey stuff that's his passion that's what he's he has a lot of good hockey items so i said to him i said you know can i just sublet a little bit of your booth space because i didn't need a whole booth space i didn't want to invest that much money in it and um he was cool with it you know i gave him a hand at the show you know we helped each other out um and i was selling the puck junk t-shirts uh, I sold uh, a T-shirt, a new shirt in the collection, which I got to put up on the the site. Going to do that soon. It's a Blades of Steel T-shirt. I actually got which permission. Which is awesome, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I got permission from the artist to use it. It's the original artwork before it has the logo put on it, the Nintendo seal of quality put on it, all of the different things. So um, it's, as far as I know, it's the only Blades of Steel shirt that has the artwork without any logos or anything on it Um, i've never seen one that's why i thought it was cool i was selling shirts and you know it was it was a slow show granted 
the demographic that I'm reaching with these are people who like hockey and or people who like hockey cards. Because I got a couple of shirts that appeal to beer league players, um, you know, a couple or my Blade shirt, which is for like people who like hockey and video games or nostalgia. But Friday was really slow. Sunday was really slow. Saturday was busy, not like super busy, but it was busy. And a lot of the dealers have told me, you know, I've been doing this show for years and this is one of the worst I've seen. So why was it bad? The Bears played on Sunday. That always gives a little bit of a dip in attendance. I want to say that even though there were a lot of autograph signers, maybe there weren't enough of a certain type. I mean, I remember the fall 2016 show that was right after the Cubs won the World Series. So it was that November. The place was mobbed. It was insane. It was crazy just to get into that show, especially on Friday when a lot of uh, a lot of the players, I don't know if they were all signing on Friday, but I know that like it was crazy to get into the show. Like people were lined up to buy a ticket. People were lined up to get into the show. People were lined up to buy an autograph ticket then. And it was just crazy. So, I mean, at that time, obviously it was hitting the right demographic at the right time because the Cubs just won the World Series and it had a bunch of Cubs players there signing autographs. Uh, this time it just felt slow. Like, and uh, that's okay. I mean, it was a good experience for me because I haven't done a show in a long time. The last time I did a show was 10 years ago and it was at some suburban community center and that just had really bad attendance. And, you know, like I said, it, it's probably better to be at a big show that's slow because people are still going to come to it and they're going to walk around. And versus a little show that's slow, because that means that no one's coming. You know, even a big show is going to have, if it's got low attendance, it still might have like 100 people or whatever, like say 2 o'clock or whatever. But yeah, it was funny because dealers were actually packing up early on Sunday, and they were announcing over to loud, loudspeaker, please do not pack up early, as like the the voice over the rattle of people packing up their stuff early you know the you know that sound of tables being folded up and boxes yeah. being tossed around and you know you just know that like it's 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 contagious it's like the domino effect like that that sound just ripples through the convention space well and all and, it takes is one whoever whoever breaks the seal first then it's like you're right it's a domino effect well, it's actually, the next guy goes and the next guy goes and so on and so forth well, you know, Plastic Man usually doesn't stick around on Sunday. <laughs> oh, I got a, uh, I got a, I got a Plastic Man story for you. Oh boy! Okay, Plastic so Plastic Man um, story. Here so, we go. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, this is uh, this is this is a good awkward story. So, Friday, Shelly came to help me set up, and then she said, "You know what? This looks like fun. I think I want to stick around." I said, "Cool. You know, hey, I, I want you to know more about my hobby." Um, I'm grateful for you helping me unload and set up and stuff. And if you just want to set up or if you want to just stay, stick around, that's cool. I said, you know, go walk around, talk to people, see stuff, whatever. And like she goes, she walks around and she's back in like 10 minutes. She's like, okay, I've seen everything. I'm like the whole show. She's like, yeah, I've seen everything. I'm like, hon, you were only gone from the table for like 10 minutes. She goes, yeah, no, I walked around. I saw everything. I'm like, well, did you see those aisles over there? Yeah, I saw those too. Oh, Okay, and in all the um, the auction houses and their tables. Oh, yeah, yeah, I looked at those. I mean, there's nothing to look at other than that they have the, the catalogs. But she, like, literally walked the whole show floor in, like, 10 minutes. And I'm just like, I can't even make it down an aisle in 10 minutes. 
because yeah. I'm always stopping and looking and buying. And I think right. she was just so I say to her, I said, well, did you see Plastic Man? She's like, he's here. I'm like, of course he's here. So for those of you who don't know, there is a card seller from Canada who has very high end hockey cards. Uh, he deals in pre 74. He has tons of stuff. He has everything I want. The problem is that his prices are really high. They're like higher than what you think they should be. And sometimes even higher than that. And if you ask him about that, he'll be like, well, I have to drive in and the Canadian exchange rate, blah, blah, blah. So it's like the prices suck. I almost never buy anything from him, but I like looking at his cards. The reason why we call him Plastic Man is because he puts this heavy vinyl clear plastic over his tables. It's like the plastic that your Aunt Betty used to wrap her couch in back in the 70s and 80s, you know, so that you couldn't, like, spill anything on it. You're nodding your head in agreement. Did everybody do that? It's Everybody did that. Anybody that had a house with the extra living room and they called it the the sitting room? Yeah, Yeah. here's here's the sitting room that you're not allowed to sit in. Right, I know. I mean, it it was just fun sitting on a a couch that's supposed to be comfortable and you you stick to it. It was just like, like, yeah. And his 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 methodology is here's the hockey cards that you're not allowed to touch or pick up or breathe on. Right. So, so anyway, so I, I say to Shelly, I said, yeah, so Plastic Man's here. And she's like, really? Really? Oh, cool. I want to meet him. I want to see him. Right. So I, I had already talked to him because I stopped at his table and he looked at, up at me and smiled and acknowledged, hey, how you doing? Whatever. I mean, we're always cordial. So then we come back. And so he sees me back like five minutes later. I pointed to Shelly and I just said, yeah, I thought I'd get some Christmas shopping done. And I was about to say and and tell her what I want for Christmas, meaning like all these cards that he had. When he heard Christmas, he's like, oh, you brought me a Christmas present. And he like puts his arms out, like he puts his hands out a little bit like he wants to hug her. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. And she's just like, oh, hi, I'm Shelly. She kind of gave him a little hug. And then I'm like, oh. Yeah, well, I I guess I'll trade her. Uh, Do you have any Parkhurst cards? But we walked away and I'm like, well, that was awkward. She's like, yeah, that was awkward. What's up with that? I said, I don't know. I was just going to say like, yeah, I brought my girlfriend so she could get all her Christmas shopping done here. And he took to mean that I was dropping you off as a Christmas present. Like either my delivery of the joke didn't work or he just, I don't know. And this is why we remain cordial, but I never talked to him because he just, I, I cannot build a rapport with him like I can with other people who are obsessed with hockey for some reason. There's yeah. like this there's, there's like this clear protective um, I don't know what you'd call it but it's there's like this, this this clear protective like sheet between us that just can't quite put my finger on it. Yeah, I don't know what that could be. Yeah. It's, it's really <laughs> I have to get to the bottom of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, the bottom of the clear tablecloth. It was funny, though, because Shelly was like, man, that she's like, when I thought plastic, she's like, I thought he just had, like, a plastic sheet of, like, plexiglass, like, on the cards, like, over the cards. She's like, this is, like, heavy-duty, like, tablecloth plastic. Yeah, like, couch plastic. Yeah. So. Heavy-duty stuff. So, anyway, so, yeah, so that was the, that, that was one fun little experience. But otherwise, um. Yeah, I just kind of pretty much stayed at my table. I managed to pick up a few odd cards that I need to fill sets. 
nothing much, just some like higher end stuff. Just I didn't have a lot of time to walk around and nor did I because I wanted to be there, even if people don't buy stuff for me, just to talk to people. I mean, enough people stop by that just said, oh, hey, you know, I know your blog or hey, these are cool. You know, or like people would say, hey, these are cool. Do you have three X or four X? <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Anyway, so that was that was my experience with with the show. Tim, you you didn't make it out to the show, but I, I don't think you missed much this time. Okay. It was it was slow. It was kind of it felt smaller. the The aisles felt wider. Does that make sense? Like I felt like there was less tables, so they made the aisles wider. Yeah, they, I mean there'd definitely be more walkway space if they either didn't have the dealer participation, or plus if the people weren't there to fill the aisles up, they definitely look bigger. I'm kind of like, surprised at that because that autograph, that autograph lineup was was pretty tight for for the three days. So I, I wonder how I wonder how they did over there. Did you notice anything as far as lines go? Um, you know, I had I had a pretty good view of the autograph area because I was facing it, but I had a couple of other. Um, I had like one other row of tables in front of where I was, so I didn't have like. A direct view but i had a pretty good view and um I, I don't know i mean it's there were people getting autographs there were some players who canceled for one reason or another um i know one guy missed his flight i forgot who it was but he missed his flight it was a big name and he missed his flight and it was canceled and then like um eric estrada the the actor from chips yeah. he canceled it was funny because uh. They announced it, and I yelled, no, and everybody started laughing, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. No Ponch, that sucks. Hey, man, Ponch was the bomb when I was, like, five. I, I thought Chips was the coolest show. Like, before, I, before, like, that little area between, like, the first Star Wars movie and the second Star Wars movie, because I was, I was born in 75, so I was too young to remember Star Wars in 77. But then, like, when Empire Strikes Back came out in, like, 1980, my whole world was Star Wars from that point forward. I mean, I liked other things. So, like, Chips was, like, I was probably four when I remember watching it and just thinking it was the coolest show because they were policemen and they were on motorcycles. And I just thought that was, that was like, the coolest thing in the world. And then there was Battlestar Galactica. And then, like, then Star Wars came out. And I was like, oh, my God, the show is just, or the, the movie was just, you know, when, when you're five, everything's, like, way cooler. Did all the happy days guys show up? Uh, yeah, actually, they they all showed up. I mean, there was uh, Donnie Most, um, uh, Henry Winkler, uh, and, and Potsy. Oh yeah, and Potsy. Thank you. And I was just thinking, hmm, I don't know what Howard. his real name is. It's just Potsy. <laughs> I, I think that was Donnie Most. No, Donnie Most was uh, was Ralph. Ralph Mouth. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah. I. I don't remember the Potsy's real name. You know, I mean, I watched sure somebody that, else. I watched that show, and I, I remember Fonzie, and that's about it. But yeah. again, I was a kid, so you know, it wasn't like it wasn't like oh, Happy's Days is on. I have to watch it. It was just like, hmm, I'm just one of those kids that always had the TV on, and I'll just yeah. leave it on this channel now, and then I'll change channels in a half an hour and see what else is on. Um, so we skipped eBay items last time. So why don't we talk about those today? You found some uh, interesting hockey items on eBay. Yeah. So, you know, 
the the high ticket items tend to be dominated by a couple different sellers as we discuss all the time and <clears throat> i i think i'm getting to the point where i'm not sure whether or not i absolutely trust the final sale prices on these because we as we all know um there's a variety of things that go on out there in the world um with some unscrupulous people and pushing card prices up higher than they probably should be. But um, I looked at this past week to see kind of what's out there and it's a lot of the usual suspects, but a couple things I wanted to point out the uh, this past week, the, the highest selling price for a card um, at least for a modern day card was the, um, the cup McDavid RPA. Uh, a BGS nine sold for twenty two thousand, um, and that was a regular auction. It went um, with thirty four bids. Um, again, I can't verify whether it was paid for or not to complete the auction, and I don't know if any of that was, you know, bids thrown out there just to kind of push price up. But you mean 20... shill bidding? Oh, I didn't want to use the word. But... Oh, you could say yeah, shill that's, bidding. That's fine. It's so. There was actually a Crosby RPA from the cup from 0506 that sold for a little higher than that. But I do have a little bit of background on that one. And I do know that that one was not paid for. Okay. Um, it sold for about 25,000. Um, so, and that was only an eight grade. So eights pretty much, if you look at graded cards, sevens and eights are basic would be considered like the basic card. So I know what in a lot is? of... Is that yeah, like gear mint? Yeah, between a 7 and an 8, a lot of times you'll see, based off of that grade, that would be like, you know, if you open a pack and pull out a card, it's at least going to be a 7 or an 8 right off the bat. Now, it may be a 9, maybe a 10. But I know we've had that discussion before, is how can a pack fresh card not be a 10? But... You know, yeah. that's, neither, that's neither here nor there because I'm no, I'm not a grader and I'm not an expert at it, and neither are the graders. A 51 Gordy Howe rookie. I don't know if we had a Gordy Howe rookie yet. Uh, this was a actually one of the better quality ones I've seen in a while. A seven and a half, seven point five, uh, which is considered near mint. Sold for twenty one thousand. Had fifty two bids. That was a pretty good one from the same set. Um, the Rocket Richard card, which was a PSA 8, sold for about 18000 That was also at auction with 38 bids. So, wow. A lot of high dollar this past week. You know, there was a Bobby Orr, and of course, you can find the Gretzkys in the top pile again. But uh, an Opeachy Lemieux rookie sold a Gem Mint 10. It's been a while since I've seen one of those, but 50 bids, close of auction went. Almost eleven thousand. It was ten thousand eight eighty nine, was the closing bid on that one. So there wow. you go, Gem Mint Ten OPG Lemieux rookie, at ten thousand eight hundred ninety nine dollars, which is absolutely crazy. I'd love to get my hands on one in pretty decent shape. Something I did want to point out that I found interesting. So yes, um, we're now starting to see some of the new crop of cards pop up. Um, with Upper Deck out there on the market and been out for a couple weeks now. Um, you have <clears throat> all of the rookie class from the 1920 sets. And Jack Hughes seems to be leading the pack. 
the upper deck high gloss parallels that are numbered out of 10. There were two that sold just this past week, the number two out of 10 and the number eight out of 10. Uh-huh. And the interesting thing about this was that the number two out of 10 was actually had a preliminary grade from BGS at a 9.5. Now, if you don't know what a preliminary grade is for those listening, you go to a show, um, PSA or BGS is there, Beckett, um, and you could take a card to be graded. Well, they're not going to, they don't necessarily slab it right there. They give it a pre-grade and they'll put it in a case and they'll put a nice gold label across the top so that if you ever did send it in, they're automatically going to take that data that's already been done apply it to the card, slab it, and off you go. So this has the preliminary 9.5. They were asking five grand for this. It sold for three, uh, best offer. So $3,000 for a card that just came out a couple weeks ago, um, a parallel high gloss young gun of Jack Hughes, numbered out of 10 for $3,000. Now, the number eight out of the 10 also sold, not graded. They were asking five thousand. It sold for thirty eight hundred dollars. So I found that interesting that the ungraded one pulled another an extra eight hundred dollars out of that. So it was just something interesting to see that you know even the the most modern cards, especially the rookies, and seems like Jack Hughes is is leading the way when it comes to that at least as of right now, but I will go back to what I keep saying. Kale McCarr is going to win the Calder because that guy is a beast. So, you know, start hoarding his cards. If you're, if you're out there collecting and that's all I have to say about that. Shall we uh, take a break from talking about the, about collecting and, and talk about some stuff going on around the NHL? I would love to do that. Why don't we start with the Robert Bortuzzo? What a fun name to say, Bortuzzo. Uh, suspension. Um, so we got four games. Sure. So I, okay, so he uh, he, he cross-checks Victor Ardvinson in the back, not once, but twice. I thought the, you know, the first one, I understand the defenseman's got to clear the crease. You got to keep guys away from the crease, out of the crease, away from the goalie you know, keeping them from screening the goalie or, you know, if they're at a wide open net. Yeah. I mean, it's your responsibility. You can't let the forward camp out on the open side of the net and, and poke in a rebound or whatever. So the first cross check, although I don't think cross checking anybody in the back is, is, is a good thing to do. But if you watch hockey, you see it happen all the time, all the time. You know, yeah. I've been cross checked in the back and in the sides and, and stuff. When I play forward, um, I usually play defense, I even had a goalie trip me once. It was the funniest thing. I was I was camping out in front of the net, and uh, I felt my skates taken out from underneath me. <laughs> and it was a goalie who did that because I was open. I was waiting for a rebound, and I'm like, I, I was facing the play, looking to see where the shot was coming from, and and then all of a sudden I'm on my back, looking up at the at at the ceiling, going, "What just happened?" But uh, I understand the clearing the crease. What I think was particularly bad was as Ardvinson was trying to get up, he cross-checks him again, harder, like knocks him back down to the ice, 
And then as Art Vincent tries to get up, then Jake Biddington comes over and hits him with the stick. The poor guy just couldn't he couldn't catch a break. I like this suspension. I haven't read the NHL's statement on this, but I think that like the first the first cross check, okay, you know, maybe not the greatest thing, but understandable. But the second one, it's like, okay, now the guy's lying in the crease. If Biddington tried to make a save and he fell over Arvidsson and the puck went in, then they'd all be like, oh, goaltender interference, goaltender interference, right? Even though it was his own man who put him in, in the crease, you know, so that wouldn't count. But he was trying to get up and get out of the crease, and uh, then he got knocked down again. So, um, and yeah, and, and he was seriously injured on the play, and, you know, a suspension is a good thing. I don't disagree, but I don't think it was enough, to be honest with you. Fair. Because Bortuzzo used to be a penguin. I get that. And I'm not going to be like the Homer guy. Once a penguin, always a penguin. Bortuzzo plays a tough brand of hockey, for lack of a better phrase. And he pushes it well past the edge of what's acceptable and what's not. That hit on Arvidsson, first of all, yeah, he's in the crease. And all of that happens all of the time. The cross checks in the back. I think it's insane that it never gets called because some of them are completely blatant i get it players have the padding that goes all the way up their back so half the time you're hitting them in the back it's really not doing anything but it could i mean there's no reason why it couldn't and obviously here's a case where arvidson gets hurt but if you watch this particular case he knocks him flat he Mm -hmm. cross checks him Mm -hmm. the referee puts his hand up to make the call to throw him in the box bortuzzo sees this and out of frustration hits him again Already knowing that he's going to the box for the cross check, he hits him again. That's a dirty play. And as the Department of Player Safety said, it's not a hockey play. Whereas you can make a case that the first cross check, yeah, he's trying to clear the crease. He's giving the guy, you know, the once over, like it always happens. That was not a hockey play. He did it out of frustration, and it's ridiculous. But here's a guy that has a history. You know, he was suspended, you know, two preseason games in 18 for a high elbow on Michael Kempney uh, when he played for the Caps. In 17, he's the one that took Kevin Fiala out, which took him out for the whole season when he hit him behind the net. And if you remember, he broke his femur and he had to be carted off the ice on a stretcher. Yes. That was Bortuzzo that hit him. Back in 14, he had a high hit that he got suspended two games for on Yager back when Yager was doing his world tour of the NHL. Um, <laughs> so it's like the guy, oh, and how could I even forget this? The hit on Brock Nelson from, what was that, from last year? Or no, two years ago. Mm-hmm. He got fined for that one, too. And if you ever go back and watch the video, he loses it. Brock Nelson's laying flat on his face on the ice, and he's just pounding the crap out of him in the back with his stick. So if you go back and watch the video, I think Sportsnet probably has it posted somewhere somewhere out there. So, but I th- four games, okay, fine. I don't think honestly, I don't think it's enough because you know plays like that. You know, we're trying to get the dangerous plays out of hockey, mm-hmm. and I understand that. And as much as I like fighting and everything else, you know, I get it. It's it's a more exciting product when you have the open ice and, you know, just back and forth and scoring and everything else. And, yeah, there's going to be hitting. But 
every player has basically taken it upon themselves to police themselves when it comes to this kind of thing. And there's really no reason for that, especially for injury. If you go out there deliberately trying to injure a guy, there's no need for that. There's no. absolutely no need for that. No, so, I mean, still trying be... to find that happy medium between taking all the hitting out of the game and, and just letting them bludgeon each other to death. Well, and here's the other thing, question that it's raised. And if you look and if you read the article, the hockey articles that are out there and listen to what, you know, all the analysts and everything have been saying and on all the different shows and such, you know, it raises the question of, OK. If we're going to do the whole punishment fits the crime kind of thing, do we tag the amount of time suspensions are based off of whether or not the players actually get hurt? And so there's many cases where guys take an elbow to the head or something like that. Penalties not called. Player safety looks at it later, maybe finds the guy. Player's not hurt. Well, in the case of something like this where a player is hurt, do you add extra games because he was injured? I don't know what the answer is, but I'd hate to see them actually go to something like that because what's to stop a team from you know, taking a player that maybe is not a Victor Arvidsson who contributes quite a bit, but might be a, a lesser contributory player that goes out there, gets hit, is sort of fine, but you know they can live without him. They hold him out, say he's injured. Right. Especially when you're playing a, a in-division rival. Oh, he's out four weeks. Okay, well, now the guy's two-game suspension went to six games. Great. So now our division rival, their best player's out for six games. Or, you know, uh, not best player, but whoever, you know, whoever does it, which could hurt them having that player out of the lineup, which could benefit your team because maybe that's the difference between them putting a couple extra points on their record. So I'm not saying teams would do that, but I'm not saying they wouldn't either. So. No, but I think it has to do with just I, – I think the, the, the main thing is intent. And, and that's really it. It boils down to is this a hockey play and it's just an unfortunate side effect? Right. Or did you go out there and try to hurt the guy? And I think he went out there and tried to, tried to hurt the guy. So, <laughs> And he has a history of it. So between those two things, I, you know, four games, fine. Two games would have been way too little. I think it probably should have been six. Mm -hmm. That's just me. Yeah. I mean, six, I think, like you said, if he's a repeat offender, yeah. Six, uh, six games sounds, I don't want to say it sounds right. You never really know what the NHL, they, they joke about the wheel of justice and, uh, you know, just give it a spin. It's like, oh, you get a two game suspension. You get an eight-game suspension. You get a ten-game suspension, but then the players' association gets to somehow talk it back down to five games. You know what I mean? It's just—I I don't know. Well, and I understand the punishment has to fit the crime, and every situation is different, and they look right. at a lot of different things when it comes to that kind of stuff. So the argument always happens after these things go down: is, oh well, how do we know what two games is? How do we know what four games is? How do we know this? How do we know that? And obviously, play you leave that up to player safety to figure it out. And I don't know. Did they get it right by suspending him? Yeah. He's suspended. He's fine. The whole deal. Again, I, I don't. 
it was it was sloppy. It was a sloppy, dirty play. He it should have been more. That's just that's just my opinion. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, Mike Babcock. You mentioned uh, wanting oh. to talk about the fallout of on social media of Mike Babcock. Oh yeah, you know the social media outrage machine has struck again in the hockey world. Um, you know, first first they blew up Don Cherry, and now this time it's Mike Babcock's the target. We talked last week about a little bit about his firing. And I'm sure everybody in the world knows by now. And as much as I despise and it turns my stomach to talk about Toronto all the time, this is kind of a significant thing because it's started to knock some dominoes down and expose the seedy underbelly of coaching around the NHL and relationships between players and coaches. I love reading Mike Commodore's tweets about Babcock. Commodore's a, he's a crack up. Well, and that's okay. You know, I love it when people tell it how it is, um, even if they're a little uh, inflammatory, that's okay. I mean, there's so much like, uh, I mean, like, I'll give you like a, for instance, like when I write an article for the hockey news and I'm talking to a player and I say to a player, who was your favorite teammate? Then they always give me that, oh, well, they were all special kind of answer. And I'm just like, yeah, I get it, but. Okay, that's not really something I can put in print. Yeah, that's just that's so, not a that's not a sound bite I can use. That, that, I mean, and I'm not looking for a sound bite. I'm looking for you know something interesting, something significant. I mean, not to change the subject, but a couple months ago, I interviewed both of these players, former Blackhawks, Reggie Kerr and Peter Marsh. They were doing an autograph signing at a local card show. I had the chance to talk to both of them. Well, these guys were best friends, so they kind of came together to do autographs together. And they were just kind of like hanging out, having fun, talking with old fans. But they were like the best men at each other's weddings. But one was telling me, I think it was Marsh, he's saying when he got traded to the Blackhawks, you know, the first time he met Reggie Kerr was when they were just going to be roommates. Like he was on the road, like he got traded and, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, go to this hotel room. And like Reggie Kerr's in there and like they just they became friends. They've roomed together on the road and, and, you know, here they are 30 years later, 40 years later, and they're just at an autograph signing, but you know, they're, they're still cool with each other. So obviously they were each other's uh, favorite teammates and, and best friends. And that's way cooler than, Oh, they were all special. They were all good. Right. You know, who was your favorite coach? Oh, well, every coach helped me in some way. Well, yeah, yeah. but I want to know about the asshole that like, really <laughs> or or I want to know about the great coach the one who pushed you the furthest and it's funny right. because like even Jeremy Roenick talks in his book about how he and Mike Keenan sometimes had a contentious relationship but he says that Keenan really molded him into the player that he was that he never really checked anybody when he played high school hockey and then he became a more aggressive player when he got to the NHL and it was because of Mike Keenan that's the stuff I love to hear, not the like, oh, all my teammates are great. All my coaches are great, right? So when Mike Commodore just flips off and says, yeah, Mike Babcock's a jerk, and here's why, I love it. I'm sorry. I mean, I love it, especially because it's not just some random fan saying, oh, Mike Babcock's a jerk, right? Um, or even like when Ronick, Jeremy Ronick says, Mike Babcock does not like American players and see he's benching Chris Chelios, who's the greatest American player ever. It's like, well, at that point in Chelios' career, he is probably a third pair defenseman, which is awesome for a guy who's 46. <laughs> right. you know? So, 
I mean, it's like, okay, Jeremy, you know, we get it. You know, you're, you're trying to say stuff, but I don't feel there was any basis to that. But when somebody who plays for Bab played for Babcock, well, kind of played for Babcock, signed with the team and then got benched by Babcock, uh, he's got, you know, there's, there's some weight to his words there. Well, it's, it's funny you bring that up because, you know, Ronick, Ronick making those comments back when he did, well, that was like 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, saying he didn't like American players and this and that. And, you know, his, his whole thing was, you know, him and Chelios are friends. They've been friends for a long time. Yep. And he had firsthand knowledge of some of the uncouth things that Babcock had flat out said to Chelly. And, you know, he was throwing that out there kind of, I don't even know if that was the subject of what they were even discussing at the time when he said that. And, you know, immediately when they brought it up, Chelios was just like, Oh, I would never say that. I don't know why Ronick would say that. Well, of course he's going to do that because Chelly's not going to say crazy stuff about his coach, especially when he's currently on the team right. and he's trying to get playing time, which he wasn't, but if you remember, Chelios came out later after he was done and flat out said that he doesn't know what the deal was, but you know, Babcock for, for a veteran free agent coming to a team, Babcock was not a good coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he threw that out there and he said, look, the guy is traditional. He wants things played his way. He wants the system his his way, and it's his way or the highway. You're talking about you, Chelios now, yeah, or about yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you don't follow what he does, then you know that that's what's going to happen to you. And so, you know, he kind of let on that he wasn't a huge fan of him, but at the same time, you know, Babcock's always said, "Well, he did. He had a decent relationship." together and this and that i mean even henrik zetterberg who you never get like crazy sound bites from him but he even said when babcock left and went to toronto that you know it was time it was time to move on so is that just it is what it is kind of thing or is it more than that i mean look commodore hates him flat out hates him yeah you can read his tweets but he's talked in numerous interviews about how much he just despises the guy. Mark Frazier doesn't like him either. And he went to, he jumped to Mike Commodore's defense uh, when he started spouting up all this stuff about him getting, getting canned. And for, and that's for various reasons. Jeff O'Neill was even on TV and he talked about how he wasn't a big fan of him, thought he was a jerk, thought he was a horrible coach and classless, especially with the whole thing of him benching Mike Madonna when he was trying to get 1500 games, Madonna finished his career with 1499 because Babcock basically benched him and wouldn't put him in and scratched him every game that he was available at the end of his career. So he never got that 1500th game. So, you know, people say, Oh, well, this is just him evolving and he became a different coach in Toronto. I don't think so. I think he's always been like that. I think the information that's out there has always been like that, but really, what really sparked a lot of this stuff, especially in the last few days, is the fact that, yeah, he was fired. Is it all his fault? No. Put some on the players? Maybe. Probably. 
but at the same time, I, he lost that locker room. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had a bad, they have a below expectation start to the year. Yes. They lost game seven against the Bruins last year. Those are two things that, you know, those are negatives. But he's the, like I said, he's the old school coach. He motivates his players based off of criticism and fear. He's, I mean, that's, that's really what it is. You, you, you mentioned uh, Keenan earlier. He's the same, he was the same style. I mean, he looks, the guy never smiles. He looks always angry. You're never going to get, you know, you're never going to get kind of like the off the cuff. Hey, I'm not really this hard exterior guy. I'm really a softy inside. You know, yeah, you got some sound bites from Babs once in a while, but no, he never led off to that. And when you treat play, players like that, like they're inferior to you mm-hmm. and they're subpar regardless of their talent, like, you know, they're 10 year old peewee hockey players, you're going to lose the locker room. And he did. And I think the whole story with Marner is absolutely ridiculous. The fact that, you know, when it got tweeted out or posted, um, I forget what outlet posted it, it was probably Post Media up in Canada, but, you know, told the story about he pulled Marner aside in his rookie year and he asked him to rank the players on the team from who works the hardest to who he thought was the lady, the laziest. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's a rookie. Can you imagine a rookie, let alone any player, being called in by your coach? All right, I want you to tell me everybody on the team that you think's a piece of trash and rank them in order, one through whatever. I mean, it's an old school, just like a crazy thing. And, you know, and since all this came out, you know, Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet and, um, I think Darren Dreger both reached out to, to him for comment and he admitted, yeah, I did that. And I apologized, you know, it probably wasn't the best thing to do, but what I was really getting at with the whole entire thing was that, you know, I'm trying to motivate him to uncover his, what he feels is a good and not good work ethic. And it's supposed to be this motivational factor in all of this. Look, whenever at- you have a player, I mean, whenever you have a player do something like that, I mean, you're trying to divide them and not unite them. And that's a terrible thing. I mean, well, and that's exactly it because this wasn't something between the two of them. This is something that Babcock turned around and took to the team. I don't know how it was presented to them, but he took it to the team and players found out about it. And, Essentially, a bunch of players since then have, you know, or at the time came to Marner's defense and they're like, look, he was put in a bad situation for that. We don't hold anything against them. And, you know, they eventually moved on for that. Right. Who does that? I mean, you don't do that to a player. I mean, think of this in terms of a business. If you're running a business and you call an employee in to basically rat out the rest of your employees, how how does that work? I mean, really, how does that look as you as a leader, the fact that you have to do something like that and can't recognize things on your own? And how does that do going up the chain to the people that are your bosses? I mean, look, not only did Babcock supposedly apologize for the whole thing, but Lou Lamorello apologized for it, too, which means one thing. He knew about it. 
the organization knew about it and they still let it happen and let it go on. So, I mean, you know, Babcock lost that locker room. He doesn't know how to coach young guys. And that's the worst part because most of your lineup is young guys, is young guys. Speed. I now. Mean, it's speed and skill. It's speed, and, and, it's and skill. And... Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean... Those are your most, most important players. And not only that, those are the players making all of your roster salary. Mm-hmm. You want to piss those guys off and try to rule with, be like this dictator type ruler. No. It sounds like Mike Babcock couldn't reach the veteran players and he couldn't reach the rookie players. He couldn't reach the really young guys and he couldn't reach the guys, you know, the Mike McDonald's or the Mike Commodores that were like at the end of their career. And you got to be able to coach everybody. I mean, I'm not a coach. I'm not a hockey coach. I helped once at my girlfriend's team practice, but I was more of just a human prop than a coach. But um, a a human prop. Well, a human prop, basically, where the coach would pass me the puck and I'd pass it back to him and he would like demonstrate something and I would try to help him and look like I was doing what I was doing, you know. Um, But I have been a teacher for a long time and Tim, you were a teacher too. So I see a lot of similarities. I like to forget about that part of my life. Okay. Well, I can't forget about me being a teacher as I look at this stack of tests that needs to be graded and got a stack of projects that I need to finish grading. And anyway, so I like to see some similarities between coaching and teaching. Oh, no doubt. And so the thing is, is that just thinking of like my most recent web design class, I know who the hard workers are. I know who the lazy ones are. I know the ones who are just trying to get by. And I know the ones that um, are trying maybe a little too hard because they want to, they want to get a really great grade in the class. You know, like they're, they're, they're doing everything they can to, to get an A and you know, it's a 10 week class. And I had this pretty much figured out by week four, week five, after seeing them once a week and rating four or five assignments, whatever. Now I know hockey's a lot different. Coaching's a lot different, but you get to know the people that you're around. And this is me just doing them once a week, not every day. Like you would, you are when you're a coach, you get to know your players, you get to know your team. And I think, well, one, I think if I, if I were to like pull aside a student and just say, Hey, which of your classmates are the lazy ones and which are the which are the overachievers that puts them in a bad spot because they want to be helpful or you know in the case of like uh you know a player they don't want to get sent back to juniors or to minors or 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 kept up and then benched for 30 games whatever so that's a horrible place to put a person but then the other thing too is again being a teacher is that I've had to learn over the years how to be able to teach everybody. I'm probably the most comfortable teaching college students because they're old enough to pay attention and learn if they want to learn, but they're still young enough to kind of follow orders. I've had older students, you know, adult students, and I I try not to be bossy with anybody, but there was a different methodologies that I'd have to use for teaching them. I taught seventh and eighth grade students. There were different methodologies I needed to use for teaching them. And I think a good teacher can teach all different levels. 
you're going to be better at some than others. And, and I get that. But I think if, yeah, if you're a hockey coach, you need to know how to coach people from 18 to 42. It just, it's just how it is, you know? Um, and he doesn't do that. It's like a lot of these coaches, they just kind of get in their little comfort zone where they want their certain type of player and that's it. So they draft a, you know, they use their first round pick to draft a really good player, but it's not the type of player that the coach wants or likes to coach. That's on the coach, not on the player, obviously. I totally agree with all that. You know, every, and there's totally different personalities from one person to the next, but when you're on a team, the team mentality kicks in and you know, I don't want to cliche three musketeers all for one, one for all kind of thing, but it's kind of like that on a team. Right. And anybody that's ever played professional, not, not even professional, but any sports, any sports where you're on a team, you have teamwork, you have camaraderie, the, the players that you're out there playing with day in and day out, that's your family. Mm-hmm. You know, so as much as you can, and you may not get along with everybody, but when you have a job to do, you're all out there doing it. So the fact that a whole entire team can just fail to respond and there's no one there that can help spread the message that's coming down from the top. Right. Right there tells you that something's definitely wrong here. And, you know, everybody's, because it's Toronto, look, no one's going to succeed in Toronto. Let's just throw that out there right now. There's too much media. There's too many microphones and cameras in your face. So if you want to keep a job, don't work for Toronto. I'm just saying that right now. And the next guy they hire, the guy that's in there now, you know, Sheldon Keefe, nothing against him, but the clock's already ticking. And, you know, the clock was ticking with Babcock, too. I think I think the writing on the wall was on the wall when when Lou left, when Lamorello left. I mean, he was Babcock was his guy. So, you know, and it's the next man up because the the regime that's in charge now, they they wanted Keith in there. They wanted Sheldon Keith. He was their guy of the future. Well, now they got him. So, you know, they've they've started off pretty decent. Guys have seemed to be responding to what what he's doing, what he's doing to try to motivate his team and get them moving and stuff. You know, you don't see the he hasn't had any of the weird kind of relationships that have been reported. You know, when Babcock took over, there was the whole split between him and Matthews, you know, and it was no secret about any of that. And Babcock even went and visited Matthews in his house in in Arizona over the summer just to try to like hash out whatever their deal was before the season started. And I remember Matthew saying that, you know, he wanted to have a voice on the team as a leader and he wanted to voice his opinion and just look at the amount of ice time. I mean, Matthew's ice time is nowhere near where it should be for who is considered an elite center in the right. There's nowhere near. So obviously Babcock didn't take heed to that because it's his way or the highway and it became for him, it became the highway. And so now we're seeing all this fallout and players coming out of the woodwork saying how they didn't like him. I mean, yeah, there's a few out there that are responding and saying, Oh, he was a great coach, yada, yada, yada. 
And you never know. He may get another job. He may he may get another job pretty quick. There's all these rumors saying that Seattle should look to him for being the coach. I don't agree. I don't agree at all. You need a you need a a younger coach with a lot of newer ideas to play in the in today's NHL. Babcock's the guy that you bring in like later on down the road where you've already established the team and you're just that you're just that one little step from the edge of of becoming great. That's the Babcock team. You know, Seattle doesn't doesn't really need that. And so, you know, all these players are speaking out and speaking their mind now and you know, it's kind of snowballed into this other stuff, um, which, you know, you brought up before we started talking with the whole Akeem Alou thing that's popped up, which is roundabout kind of way related to this. Yeah, as uh, as uh, Peters, Bill Peters, the uh, current, but maybe not for long, coach of the Calgary Flames had worked under Mike Babcock as an assistant uh, so um, I actually read up on this this morning. So what had happened was uh, back during the 2009-10 season, Akeem Alou, a player who was on the Rockford Ice Hogs, who was black, claims that uh, Peters had used the N-word a couple of times in the locker room when describing the music that Alou was playing. I guess he was playing some hip-hop music in a locker room while they were getting ready for a game or a practice or whatever. And he just said, like, turn that N-word stuff off or something to that extent. Alou claims that his career kind of went downhill before it even started, because here he was. He was a 20-year-old rookie in the AHL. He was in his first first full season with the Rockford Ice Hogs. He had played a few games the season before and the season before that. But this was like his first full season with Rockford. You know, the coach comes in, and uh, like I said, Alou is black. I mean, he was born in Nigeria, but he lived, uh, his parents moved to Ukraine when he was really young, and then he moved to Canada when he was seven. So, I mean, he's Canadian, but he's also was born overseas, and he's, he's black, and he had different experiences. He stood out because during junior hockey one season, he refused to take part in a team hazing. And I'm okay with that. I mean, I think hazing is stupid. It's terrible. It's a discussion for another time because we could just get into that. So he just basically stood up for himself and said, no, I'm not going to participate in this. What had happened was, was that Bill Peters made comments about the music. I'm going to see if I can find the tweet that I, uh, I found here. Well, supposedly um, he said it more than once. But here, he walked in before a morning pregame skate and said, hey, Akeem, I'm sick of you playing that N-word shit. And then when Alou went to talk to him in the coach's office, Peters just basically said, no, you need to find different music, was basically what he said. I know two former Rockford Ice Hog players have corroborated the story and said, yeah, he did indeed say that. I remember that. Ice Hogs captain Jake Dowell went and talked with Peters about that. We don't know what he said because um, just hasn't been able to be reached for comment. Dowell was... Um, a Blackhawk prospect. He did play all of the 10-11 season with the Blackhawks, and he kind of bounced around the NHL for a bit. And he was with the Ice Hogs again. So, I mean, he was a well-known, as far as Ice Hog players go, he was well-known. Because the first thing I thought to myself when I'm reading this article, I said, what did the team captain do? Like, I would think about that. Because the team captain is that link between the players and 
the coach and he has to be the one that stands up for his players and sometimes has to stand up to the coaches or stand up to management. I mean, it's a tough responsibility. I mean, you're a leader on the ice, you're a leader off the ice. And so I was thinking, what did the team captain do? I can't say what I would have done in that situation because when you're in the minors, you're only a heartbeat away and it, it goes back between, oh, you don't want to rock the boat. You just want to fit in. You just want to shut up and do what you're told because these guys can make or break your career. And I mean, it was the same with like, who's the coach, coach of Montreal? He was like, he bounced around for a while and he came back to the, the, the Habs. Help me out here. Um, Michelle Therrien. Thank you, Therrien. Yes. So Therrien was. Nailed uh, it. You did. I mean, you knew who I was talking about. And I said, that one Montreal coach, right? Not Pat Burns, the other one, right? Yeah. yeah. He, he was coach of the Penguins and got fired. They brought Bilesman in and they won a cup. So, so Terrian basically wrecked, well, partially wrecked Terry Ryan's career. Terry Ryan was a high pick with the um, Canadians in the, in the mid-90s. And he stood up to Terrian and he pretty much got buried. That's kind of what Alou is is alluding. Alou is alluding to is the fact that um, after this whole incident went down and some other back and forth things and him standing up for himself, Peters apparently wrote a letter to Blackhawks management and said, "You got to get rid of this guy." And next thing you know, he got shipped off to the ECHL team. And yeah, and was, then they traded him, and then and they then, traded him to the Atlanta Thrashers. Uh, right. So he went to Atlanta that end of that season. Right. And so if you look at his career since then, I mean, he's what played seven NHL games total. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been relegated to AHL or ECHL teams. Yeah. Was he labeled as, Oh, here's a troublemaker. This guy, you get him in your organization, you know, Oh, it's going to be awful. So let's just dump him and push him down. And cause I mean, really, in his first in his first year when he was playing, he had numbers that could could have pushed him up. Yeah, he was um, got him a roster spot on the big club. Yeah, I mean he was. Um, let's see, he was he had eleven goals and and six assists for seventeen points and forty eight games uh, according to Lou. He didn't, wasn't getting any power play time, um, but he said he was on pace to get you know a twenty goal season, which is which is admirable for a twenty year old rookie in the AHL. And yeah, he got sent to the ECHL. I guess what had happened was was um, Peters approached him later in a practice, and Alou just said something to the effect of "Don't talk to me." And then after that, he, he sent them to the minors. And then yeah, then he was traded to uh, Atlanta. He actually ended up playing it for the Chicago Wolves because at the time they were affiliated with the Atlanta Thrashers. Then he bounced around to different AHL and ECHL teams. They didn't get a shot with the Flames. I know later on he had a he, he was in training camp with the Buffalo Sabres and I believe he played some preseason games for them. So, I mean, he was always kind of on the cusp of an NHL career, but he, he wasn't. And, I mean, it could be for a lot of things, but, yeah, I mean, he could have been very well been labeled. I mean, we talk about these old school coaches, you know, do what I say or else, right? Like a Mike Babcock, right? And we still have a lot of that mentality today. I don't want to disrespect the guy and I'm not trying to say he's the same, but like, say like Scotty Bowman, everybody talks about what a great coach Scotty Bowman was. And then they call him a taskmaster, right? Like when you're a winning coach, if you're a losing coach, you're a slave driver. And if you're a winning coach, you're a taskmaster, but you're still the same guy. Right. It just depends on what players you're you're coaching 
or driving or tasking. So I actually was really excited about Ulu. I mean, I remember hearing about what happened in junior hockey, and I said, I like this guy. He's an individual. He's interesting to me. I mean, he was a second-round second pick, which is pretty high up there. I mean, he was coming to the Blackhawks. Um, I think I, I was – I wanted to see him – play for the Blackhawks. I actually was very excited that he was going to play for the Blackhawks. And you'll even remember uh, a couple of years ago, like I got a Panini redemption card for Akeem Alou autographed card, which I never got. And they ended up, Panini ended up sending me a different card like four years later. Um, but I was just like, Hey, I like this guy. He not only was he a Blackhawk pick, he played for the Chicago Wolves. And I'm really, it makes me sad to see this kind of stuff. I mean, even as, it's 10 years ago, but still, I mean, I think of this, like, 1980s, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be like, what coach wasn't saying racist shit in the 1980s, right? Sure. I, I would, I would, that would just kind of be like my knee-jerk reaction. 10 years ago, I mean, maybe weren't, we weren't as woke of a culture or as, as trying to be PC or whatever. But, I mean, the thing is, is that when you're the coach, and this is going to go back to my experience as a teacher, but I see a lot of relevance about this. And actually, um... I thought this was funny because I was watching the statement that uh, Brad Treveling made yesterday. And, you know, when you play a video on NHL.com, they always put a little commercial before it, which kind of pisses me off. There was a commercial. It was an anti-bullying commercial before Brad Treveling's uh, statement to the press yesterday. And I was just like, oh, my God, that cannot be more relevant because bullying implies that there is a power structure. You have somebody who has power over another person. It could even be an in-group and an out-group. It could be that kind of, you and I, we, we tease each other, but we're not bullying each other. But like if a teacher teases a student, that's bullying, right? Even if it's not physical, even if it's not racial. I mean, even something uh, that I did that was not the greatest thing was like, I remember I was teaching a blogging class and one of my students, I was co-teaching this class with another teacher. And one of my students just made a mention that she watched like the real housewives. And I'm like, you watch the real housewives. How can you watch that stuff? Right. Like, and I said that, and then my co-teacher pulled me aside and said, Oh, you shouldn't really say that. I'm like, why not? I was just kind of joking around with her. She's like, well, no, but did you notice she got really quiet for the rest of the class and she kind of froze up and, and she's like, you're her teacher. You can't do that sort of thing. And I said, you know what? You're right. Because it wasn't like I had like, said something like terrible but i just kind of like poked fun at what she liked and i thought about that i said yeah i'm the teacher i need to be above that sort of thing i need to be kind of neutral about that and i'll tell you a couple of years later i had a student who was talking about she watched um the kardashians keeping up with the kardashians and she had this like mobile app on her phone that would kind of like tell her what was it was to keep up with the Cardassians, like what was going on, right? And yeah. she said to me, she she was like, she's explaining this to me because I said, okay, I want everybody to do a research study about um, an app or a website or something. And she was telling me this idea and she wanted to do it, but she was looking down and she was just like, oh, I know that's that's kind of stupid. And I said, it's not stupid. I said, you like it and that's all that matters. I said, I collect pieces of cardboard with hockey players on them. Everybody likes what they like, you know, and then she kind of perked up after that. And she did this 
this this project about that and it was a good project so i think that like yeah when there's a power structure you have to be extra sensitive how you treat the people that report to you that you're responsible for and peters did not do that you know and and alu was 20 and i remember when i was 20 i put up with a lot of shit from other people that i wouldn't put up now at 40 you know but when you're 20 you just think this is the way the world works you don't know any better and your feelings might get hurt and you might be sad and you might feel that the repercussions from that for a long time and that's what Peters did to Alou and you know he made him feel like he was less a part of a team um he used you know he used a racial slur to describe the music that uh, Alou was playing I mean if there was a problem with the music it should have been between teammates like oh no he's got the box I need to put in my country music before he gets to the uh before he you know gets to the boom box and puts on you know rock or R&B or whatever no and I agree and it looks like the hammer's going to fall on this one. Um, r- rumor is he's going to get canned, but the investigation's going on, and the Flames haven't said anything other than they're still investigating. So it should be interesting to see what the Flames do. I mean, they're already, you know, they're already. I understand that as of this morning, they uh, that Peters was not at the team practice that the assistant coach was running the team practice. I'll be very interested to know what they have to say, uh, what they do. The only thing that scares me about all this is, is, is this the, is it, are these the first dominoes that are falling and are going to become, okay, every player is going to now start complaining about their coach saying their coach said this and saying they said that, and they made me feel this big and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, like you said, bully culture is very prevalent in the minds of the, as we keep calling it, the outrage culture that we live in, is this just going to just start an avalanche of issues? Why not bring it? I say, you know what? I watch hockey for the, for the, the shooting and the stick handling and the goals and the big saves and the hitting. I don't watch it because you know, the bullying of the, the players by the coaches or the hazing of players by other plays, uh, other players. I, I, and I don't either. No, because I'm not, none of us do. you know, as, as, as much as I love to watch Jerry Springer back in the day, that's not why I tune in and watch hockey. I tune in because I love the game, but all of this is part of the game for players and coaches this is this is the reality that they live in and it's going to carry over into their lives i mean look i don't know what's going on and no one's released the information but i'm sure you saw this week bobby ryan went into the um you know the player assistance program yeah so we don't know what's wrong but you know could be addiction could be you know whatever but the fact that the fact remains mental health is a huge focus of, you know, the player's lifestyle. And if there are players that legitimately feel threatened by the organization that they work for, or generally don't feel comfortable around the people that are supposed to be their coaches and bosses, or even colleagues as other players, what, what's going to, you know, what's going to end up happening to the other play? Well, you know, their play on the ice might decline because they're thinking about other things or they feel a certain way about something and it's just going to 
turn into that. And again, I hate to be the negative guy, but just like with coaches faking injuries, like I was talking about earlier with players to try to get extra suspensions. What's to stop a player or a multitude of players that maybe not like their coach and decide, you know what? Let's, you know, we know how to get rid of them and come up with something. I mean, it's always been that. I don't want to say it's always been the good old boys network or whatever, but kind of has though. Maybe, but just like the, you know, the whole Vegas slogan, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in the locker room generally should stay in the locker room because it's nothing that can't be worked out amongst the people involved. The problem is the media is in there too. Now there's reporters everywhere. There's cameras, there's microphones, everything gets picked up. Everything gets reported. Players post on social media. I mean, it's. I think this is going to get worse. I honestly do. Peters could have. You say what what happens in a locker room stays in a locker room and they can work it out themselves. Peters never worked it out. His answer was to demote uh, the player instead of try to work it out with the player. Yeah, and in in this case, it didn't work the way it probably should have, and now you're going to see somebody pay the price probably with their job. Right. Well, but, I mean, Alou could have had a better career. I I mean, maybe not. Maybe he got every chance. Maybe he got enough chances in Calgary and he didn't shine there, and, and that was it. I'm not a scout. So we always wonder why a player doesn't make it or why they don't stick around at the the top level. Um, and I don't know. I mean, maybe he was blacklisted, maybe uh, or, or labeled or whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't mind. Let, don't let it let it let it come. Let's see what happens. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, let's uh, it'd be okay to change some of this culture. And and if this is the start of it, awesome. Well, I, I guess. There's nothing left to say about that, then we'll see. Yeah, Maybe next well, week's show, there'll be five other coaches that have been fired for calling their players' names or something. Who knows? Well, well, I would love to know what you guys all think, all 14 of you, if I counted correctly. Um, uh, there's going to be double that after this one. Hopefully. But I'd love to know what you think about this. So, you know, leave a comment, or you can, you can message us at Twitter. I'm at PuckJunk. Tim is at the real DFG, uh, or you can leave a, a comment. Uh, we want to know what you think about any of these topics that we talked about, but specifically about Peters and Alou. Um, and until next time, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Podcast. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.